This is Akata is a Bad Word, a podcast to improve understanding between Africans and African Americans through conversations about topics that affect us all. I am Busala Saka, your host, and I hope you will join me in opening your hearts and minds to different perspectives. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, listeners, and thank you so much for joining me today. I know it's been a while, um, but we're still here um, talking to people, learning more about this, you know, dynamic relationship between Africans and African-Americans. And today I am excited about the topic that I'm discussing. Um, So let me give a little background. I posted on Instagram, on our Instagram account, um, you know, image of the poster for the Harriet Tubman movie. Um, you know, and I was excited to see Cynthia Erivo, I hope I'm saying her name right, um, as, you know, the lead actress. And, you know, I posted and I thought, you know, it would be a great movie to watch to kind of educate ourselves about, you know, African-American history. And someone commented and was like, oh, no, we're not going to... Um, you know, they were just like, oh, yeah, she said some really nasty things about African-Americans and it's all over Twitter and she did never apologize. And I was like, oh, Lord. So <laughs> I said, let me go and find out. So I went on Twitter and Twitter was lit and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so, of course, I, you know, did some digging and looked around and found, you know, some really, really insightful um, and passionate um, conversations about why, you know, the, the the disappointment in some of the comments that she's made about African-Americans. And today I am so glad to have Bo with me via Skype. Um, Bo is a proud descendant of, Af- of American and Caribbean enslaved peoples and particularly passionate about current American DOS issues. She believes in applying a long-term holistic and sober view to the notion I'm rooting for everyone black. Bo, thank you so much for joining me today. You were one of thank the most you. insightful um, people who were posting on Twitter that I was like, okay, I need to have a conversation with her. So thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. And like I've said before, thank you so much for creating this space. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Um, so I, I wanted to, you know, like I gave the, the introduction, you know, knowledge, knowledge is power and Twitter is power, apparently, mm-hmm. um, because I had to go on Twitter um, to find out what was really going on um, about, you know, Cynthia being playing Harriet Tubman, who is an iconic, significant figure in African-American history. Um, and, you know, to go on Twitter and see, you know, kind of read through what happened and what she said and the comments, I was I was disappointed um, because I thought, you know, this was a, a great opportunity for her um, to, you know, take the conversation in a different direction and, you know, help kind of unify, um, you know, both both all the parties involved. Um, so but I, I know that a lot of the conversation on Twitter that I saw was, you know, why um, did they cast a non-American, non-descendant of slavery um, and how that was disrespectful to African-Americans? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yes. And just um, to clarify, that certainly has been one aspect of the conversation. And I think with the resurgence of my thread and the other people pointing out her particular history, that even a larger part of the conversation within the last month has been her uh 
repeated pattern over at least seven years of disrespect and condescension towards African-Americans. As far as the particular conversation, the argument um, and, you know, the felt offense of casting a non-African-American AGOS person as Harriet, my feeling on that is that it's inconsiderate, um, that it's inconsiderate in one way and that it's also based on a rationale that is quite flawed. And so as far as the inconsiderate aspect, you know, these choices aren't happening in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. And so on its own, a few years ago, I don't think that that choice would have really been called out much. I think that most people, you know, might have felt a tiny wince upon hearing about, you know, the the casting of African-American ADOS people, but that they wouldn't have been particularly upset about it. However, since, you know, once again, this isn't happening in a vacuum, I think that because there is quite a pronounced pattern over the last five to 10 years, when you look at movies like, you know, 12 Years a Slave um, and like the Martin Luther King film um, and and various other films where non-African-American ADOS people were cast, that there is a very pronounced trend um, of casting and that people are um, more sensitive now to the fact that we are not being cast to tell our own stories and that that is, you know, sort of the larger problem. Mm -hmm. So yes, that, that larger trend I think is, is one that makes this particular casting choice disrespectful or at the very least inconsiderate. Mm -hmm. And then also the fact that Harriet Tubman in particular is such a sacred ancestor Mm -hmm. and that when you look at her role in history, that, the people that she was fighting for, the people who she was grounded in were African-American people. Um, and just for reference, that term has been in use, you know, going back to the late 1700s. So while she probably wouldn't have been referred to um, necessarily as African-American um, by her contemporaries, this was her identity. You know, a, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So her identity was very much grounded in this crucible of slavery and in the very distinct and different identity of being um, a person caught up in chattel slavery and wanting to free people who were victims of that and, and build better lives for the the progeny of that, which are, you know, modern day AGOS African-American people. So I think that that sort of added insult to, to injury as far as her role in, in African-American culture and history. Wow. Thank you for that perspective. Um, So I wanted to ask, which other actress would you have, you know, preferred to kind of play that role? Like, if you, do you have any actress in mind just to give people who are listening kind of some context? And mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so I think first and foremost, an actress who does not have a seven year history of disrespecting and dismissing and being very condescending towards African-Americans, towards the people who are essentially Harriet's children. That's first and foremost. As far as particular actresses that come to mind, Viola Davis is one. And she actually, yes, yes. And she actually, to my understanding, does have a Harriet Tubman project in the works. Um, So, you know, from a visual standpoint, I think it's important to have a somewhat petite, um, dark-skinned woman, just visually. And beyond that, Viola, in her roles, has just embodied that sense of fierceness, 
mm-hmm. but also that sense of, I would say, discipline and just uh, a very deep inner life mm-hmm. that Harriet Tubman um, was was known to have. And so I think that she would play that role very, very well. Um, beyond that, you know, I would want someone who preferably is African-American ADOS, um, who has that grounding in being a defendant of slavery and who can tap into the aspects of cultural being that are beyond the surface, that are sort of underneath the iceberg, so to speak, if we're using um, the cultural iceberg model of, of looking at things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, dark-skinned woman, petite, um, you know, someone who's talented, vivacious, I, you know, would leave it to the casting directors whose profession it is to do that. And I think another thing is, is that I was racking my brain trying to figure out who are these dark-skinned, petite women. And mm-hmm. part of the largest systemic issue, the industry issue, is that a lot of these darker-skinned, ADOS women aren't even getting to rise up through the ranks mm-hmm. Um, of Hollywood to be known to the average, you know, movie watcher like me and actually don't watch that many movies or TV um, because of things like colorism and because of this wave, this, you know, cross-racial wave of British and, and other actors um, being cast in American projects. So I, I would challenge a casting director and I'd also challenge Hollywood to cultivate the talent and cultivate the pipeline so that I can call upon more petite, dark-skinned women to think, you know, to think of for this casting. Sure. And, you know, it's interesting because I, when I was following the conversation and the discussion on Twitter, um, there were not only kind of um, screenshots of tweets that she's, um, you know, tweeted before, but there were also tiebacks to like Yvonne Orgy and Lovey and some kind of conversations and comments that they've made. And it made me think of, um, so Yvonne did, uh, she was on The Breakfast Club. Mm -hmm. um, And I think they asked asked her, you know, do Africans look down on African-Americans or something like that. And she responded, she was like, oh, we look down on everybody. And, you know, um, we were were not, you know, basically we're just um, trying to be one step ahead. I, I can't really articulate what she was saying i think she basically said something along the lines of it's not about us looking down it's that we're looking up we're looking you know that we're focused on achieving what our parents immigrated here to achieve what Mm -hmm. our culture what our parents expect of us Mm -hmm. we're looking up and so if you're not in our purview, then we just don't see you, which was sort of like ooh, ouch (laughs) And, and and you know as as an african immigrant um, mm-hmm. You know, I've lived in the U.S. for 20 years. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was born in the U.S. I was raised in Nigeria and then moved here when I was 17. And I've lived here, you know, pretty much for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was I, I had the same reaction. I was like, ooh, you know, it was very um, dismissive. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I was not, I I had a lot of, you know, African friends and who were like, yes. And I was like, Ooh, no. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because I felt like, you know, it, it was dismissive and it was also kind of condescending and Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like it was a good way to improve, you know, the relationship between Africans and African-Americans and granted some Africans and African-Americans don't want to have a relationship and that's fine. But, you know, if you have a platform, you know, that's so wide and you have a lot of following and a lot of people listening to you, 
I feel like, you know, it's your responsibility to keep the conversation um, positive and, you know, be be honest about our prejudice, the prejudice that we have and the mm-hmm. biases that we have. Um, and honestly, the superiority complex that we have um, being honest about it, because it, it is something that I also have admitted that I struggled with. You know, when I came here, I'm like, what? you know, and it's it's not something that I'm proud of, but it's something that I recognize in myself. And I'm having these conversations to help me, you know, think differently and see things mm-hmm, differently. Mm-hmm. So I, I really okay. thought that that comment was very, you know, and I know that it got tied back to Cynthia's comments and how, you know, just African immigrants and Africans in general don't respect African-Americans and they mm-hmm. talk down on us. So, um, yeah. And I think with Yvonne in particular, I mean, with with black immigrants in general, just um, as you're saying, to have more of a sense of grace and a sense of honesty when it comes to addressing the issues, because her response was both gaslighting, number one, Mm. and then number two, the condescension, right? So there's that aspect of just having more grace and of realizing, um, and I can go more into this later, but of realizing your place Mm. in America um, as far as being a self-selected, hyper-selected group of people who are immigrating here with a purpose, right? Mm. And then also the place within American history, as far as African Americans building the country Mm -hmm. and making it possible for black immigrants to come here, not just by virtue of our general civil rights fights, but also in terms of the Immigration Act. So that's the general thing as far as, you know, understanding the that onus that's there, and just exercising uh, a bit more grace and a mm-hmm. bit more, I would say, moral decency in terms of approaching those conversations. With Yvonne in particular, from my understanding, on Insecure, and I don't watch the show, but she's playing an African-American character on Insecure, and she's played several African-American characters throughout yes. her career. And yeah. so she particularly has been able to get a certain level of success in Hollywood by using African-American culture and characters as a gateway. Hmm. And so something that you see with Yvonne, and I mentioned her in my thread in the context of a particular event, I think it maybe was the premiere of Widows. Um, and Cynthia Erivo had invited Yvonne Orgy there. Um, and at the very least, she had also invited um, Lavi Ajayi, who's a known ethnic bigot. Um, and there are a few other instances where there have been events where what they call the African Voltron or the West African mm-hmm. Voltron, which is <laughs> yeah. Cynthia... Yvonne, Lovey, and some other folks get together. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, that link as far as them hanging out with each other and this these parallels of condescension and of disrespect. But, you know, even apart from that, even just putting aside who Cynthia Revo associates with her own very long pattern of disrespect and of condescension and of, you know, promoting beliefs that are quite hateful and quite um, disingenuous and flawed, like, you know, African-Americans are complaining about racism from the white man, and here they are being jealous of Africans. Um, So promoting these beliefs, and then also in her own way, um, you know, publicly mocking African-American people and culture, and then at the same time being quite protective 
of her culture and her specific identities as a Igbo woman, as a, or sorry, she might be Yoruba. I, Who I is that, get Lovey? Into, Cynthia. 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 I forget okay. if she's Igbo or Her name doesn't sound Yoruba, Yoruba to me. I'm Yoruba but, and her name doesn't sound okay. Yoruba. I think, yeah. I think she might be Igbo, actually. So protecting her identity as an Igbo woman, as a Nigerian woman, as a West African woman, as a Black British woman, as an English woman, as she's called herself, protecting and acknowledging the specificities of these identities. And yet when it comes to African-American identity and culture, treating it as just free-for-all, that really doesn't exist on its own as a specific thing and is just part of this larger uh, sort of amorphous blob of blackness and of colorness, quote unquote. And mm-hmm. so that sort of pattern that, you know, you see unfolding in her posts um, over, like I said, seven years, and then the year-long pattern that she has of denying, dismissing, deleting tweets without any explanation mm-hmm you know, really being quite misleading and, and quite honestly lying. Um, maybe some would say categorically lying, but saying things like, oh, all of these allegations of me being disrespectful, of, of me being saying negative things are rumors. It, it's a rumor that just grew its own legs and spread. She was saying this as of two or three weeks ago when the, mm. when the um, tweets resurfaced. And so it's quite disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's even above and beyond her association with anyone else mm-hmm. and you know, light years ahead of anything that Avon said. So she's she's particularly um, troubling. Her her behavior is particularly troubling. Yeah, and the internet never forgets is what they always say. If you post something or say something, I mean, mm-hmm. look at the politicians. Somebody will dig it up. Somebody yeah. will find it, and then you're yeah. left to you know kind of you know either defend or just flat out ignore. <laughs> what you said before in the past, which, you know, I I think personally, um, you know, social media is great and it's also dangerous um, in the sense that, you know, like I, like I said earlier, you can, you can dig stuff up. um, And so you have to be ready to back whatever you said up or apologize for whatever it is that you've said or, or stand by what you've said Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and just say, yes, I said it. Yes, I believe it. And so everybody knows where you stand. Absolutely. Um, because she was well into her 20s, you know, as in early 30s, as she was saying these things, she's mm-hmm. quite intelligent. And so, you know, social media, people sometimes will try to reduce things, especially in response to this thread. People will say, oh, people are, you know, you're taking her tweets from 2013 or 2011, because they're actually someone's from 2011. And mm-hmm. these are just tweets. And it's like you wouldn't reduce the Arab Spring to being a lively Twitter chat. You know, mm-hmm. Twitter is the medium. Yeah. And what we say on Twitter is an expression of what we want people to know about what we think. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, it's not it's not a live stream from our brain. We're making that conscious decision to broadcast particular beliefs and thoughts. It, it hasn't been the platform for just saying what you ate for lunch. It hasn't been that for a very long time, right? <laughs> right. And so it's, um, it's very disturbing that, yeah. you know, as a full-grown woman who's very intelligent, that she promoted repeatedly these beliefs in such a public forum. Right. And like you said, she's not, at least choose to stand by the beliefs. Right. Um, which in a way she is sort of buckling down, but in a very disingenuous way by calling them rumors or mm-hmm. by saying, if you were offended or I've always been proud to be black, just, you know, sidestepping, denying 
And oftentimes, and this is something that, you know, you see in psychology in terms of gaslighting, reversing the order of victim and offender. So she's a victim mm-hmm. um, and the people who are calling her out, the people who are holding her accountable because she is playing the sacred ancestor, we're the offenders. We're the ones who are attacking her. We're the ones who are angry. We're the ones who are uncovering things that, you know, we're petty to uncover or misconstruing mm. them. So it's yeah. quite unfortunate. Yeah. And I, speaking of her response, so I read her response on Instagram and there was a part of her response that stuck out to me in particular. And she said, you know, speak, people speak of foreign, foreign privilege Mm-hmm. And truthfully, life will be unbelievably easy if that were applied to me. But that is not my portion. So I guess she was trying to say that people were saying that, you know, she got the role based on foreign privilege. Um, do you think that's what got her this role? Yes, I think that what she was specifically responding to there. Sorry, that's what okay. she was specifically responding to there were the earliest criticisms mm-hmm. before her disrespect was even Um, discovered before her tweets were discovered the earliest criticisms of her casting which were that why can't an african-american person be cast to play this sacred african-american ancestor why is this being played by a black brit Mm -hmm. and so that's slightly different from saying that you have foreign privilege Mm -hmm. um so you know once again she's sort of warping the argument to make it something where she's being accused of privilege and she's, you know, sort of the victim. But even with that being said, she's undeniably talented. Mm -hmm. Like she's won an Emmy, a Grammy and a Tony. And she won those three awards by playing one character, a famous African-American fictional character, Thiele from The Mm -hmm. Color Purple. Purple. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's also a systemic trend, and I, you know, sort of referenced this before, it's it's cross-racial in some ways, of British actors being cast as Americans in American projects under the auspices, (laughs) right, right, (laughs) under the auspices of training and prestige, because Americans are sort of secret Anglophiles, right? but also behind the scenes for financial reasons, because they know that British actors are really eager because of the smaller size of the British film industry. They're very eager Mm -hmm. to make it in Hollywood. And so when it comes down to, you know, how they're compensated for their roles, they're willing to take less uh, money to play a role than an American actor who's either on the same level or, you know, a slightly higher higher level of notoriety. So there's that aspect. And then there's yet another trend of black Brits in particular being locked out of, you know, a whole genre of British entertainment, period films, because of the subject matter and because of racism and them feeling like they have to come to the US to advance their careers. Right. And then there's yet another trend of, you know, just as white people want, and and non-black people for that matter, want black culture without black people, white Hmm. and non-black American liberals want ADS, ADOS history and culture without ADOS people. Hmm. That there's this very deep cognitive dissonance that they have when it comes to slavery and the slavery Hmm. that built this country and how that lives on in African-American ADOS people mm-hmm. who they have to look at every day or who they try maybe to avoid looking at every day and that they want to be able to pat themselves on the back 
for taking their kid to see the Harriet Tubman movie and mm. for, you know, welling up and having tears in their eyes as they watch the Harriet Tubman movie, Tubman movie, but they don't want it to be too real. Mm. And so it's very convenient for them to have these roles, these sacred African-American ancestor roles that are all about slavery played by people who have no grounding in slavery. There's mm. a sort of soothing there um, of, like I said, their cognitive dissonance. So all that to say there's a lot of nuance. There are different dynamics. I think that her not being ADOS, ADOS helped. That's not to say that she's not talented. Right. But there are numerous equally talented ADOS actresses. And like I said, the pipeline for them, unfortunately, especially for darker skin ADOS actresses, just isn't isn't there. Um, there's actually quite a thriving, you know, black film industry in America. So we are making a way where there is no way, so to speak. And we've been doing that for decades, right. you know, almost since the beginning of Hollywood, really. Um, but, you know, and I, I go to black film festivals and all of that, but I can't off the top of my head name particular actresses. And that's a reflection of the larger system right. uh, that's in place. So right. yes, there, there's slight privilege there, but that's not in any way saying that she's not talented. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I have, so I have um, two questions. One, I also want you to talk a little bit about ADOS. But before I, I jump into that, mm-hmm. um, there have been instances too where, you know, black actors played, African-American actors will mm-hmm, play mm-hmm. historic figures like Nelson Mandela and Idi Amin. Um, what are your thoughts on that? So for me, it's, it's you know, I think the only, I, I never really think about it um you know I, I see people talking about it and complaining about it and being upset about it and I, I never really th- I never really think about these things until I you know go on Twitter and I'm like oh so mm-hmm. um what what always gets me is the accent I'm like oh my gosh I'm like this this accent is terrible um that's the only thing that I'm always like oh you Will know Smith. <laughs> Will Smith. Oh my goodness. I'm like, what? Yeah, that was that was horrible. That was yeah, horrible. And, and just, many of them are just yeah. Yeah, but then you know, I I start thinking too. I'm like, well, they could have find there there are a lot of African actors mm-hmm. and actresses out there who who could have mm-hmm. played that role. But in mm-hmm. this instance, you know, when we're I hope that we're not comparing apples to oranges, you know, in this case, but what are your thoughts on, you know, African Americans playing mm-hmm. the role of you know, historic African um, figures. Yes, I think that it it is different in three important ways. The first of which is that these are largely, you know, 90%, if not more, are American productions, or in the case of, for example, The Last King of Scotland with Horace Whitaker about Idi Amin, um, American productions with um, either British cooperation or joint American-British Production. So if you look at the companies that are credited um, for the film, either the majority or, you know, half of them in the case of Last King of Scotland are, um, are American. So that's one difference, that these aren't productions that are Nollywood productions, which Nollywood is, you know, one of the most vibrant, um, amazing film industries. They're not Gollywood productions mm-hmm. um, and they're not totally contained Ugandan or South African productions. Right. You know, you might have in the in the credits some mention of with cooperation from the yeah. film board of Uganda, that sort of thing, but they're not native productions. So that's mm-hmm. number one. The second thing is that they involved 
A-list talent whose presence helped get the film made. Right. And so oftentimes actors come attached to projects. And in the case of Invictus, for example, with Morgan Freeman playing Nelson Mandela, his production company, Revelations Entertainment, was one of the companies that produced Invictus. Um, and so he was he sort of brought his celebrity to, to bear mm-hmm. uh, in that sense to help get the film made. And he is an A-list talent who's been A-list for decades at this point. I think the last important thing is that neither Morgan Freeman nor Terrence Howard nor Forrest Whitaker have publicly disrespected and dismissed South Africans, Ugandans, Mm -hmm. and their distinct heritage. They have not publicly and proudly been friends with people who are known to be ethnic bigots towards South Africans and Ugandans. They have not defended the bigotry of such people towards South Africans and Ugandans. And they haven't promoted the belief, for example, that, you know, South Africans are complaining about racism and apartheid from the white man. And here they are being jealous of African-Americans. They haven't done any of that. And so in those three important ways, those are different situations. Having said that, I think especially within the last five years that you have um, a considerable amount of African or, you know, African British talent Mm -hmm. who have gotten, you know, a lot of name recognition in Hollywood. So you have Chiwetel Ejiofor various other actors. And so in that sense, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> and I think many of us are ready to see um, Africans playing Africans, even in these Hollywood productions. Absolutely. You know, there obviously is a whole nother conversation there about African as, a, as an identity not being just one thing. And so, you know, that that needs to be more specific based on whatever the role is. But um, certainly, I think all of us agree that without question, Africans should be and are playing themselves in Nollywood in South Africa in their own country's productions. And so with America being the country of African-Americans, that's what we're that's what we're asking for. Um, And then, of course, like I said, that additional aspect of the at least having the person that's playing a sacred ancestor be respectful of that ancestor's heritage. That's certainly a deal breaker as well. Absolutely. I don't think that's too much to ask. Right, Um, right, right. (laughs) um, So I wanted to talk about ADOS, and Mm -hmm. I will just admit that I had no clue that this was, you know, a trending, uh, you know, hashtag and movement on Twitter until I I haven't been on Twitter in years. Mm -hmm. Um, So when someone made that comment on my post about the Harriet Tubman movie, I actually went and opened a Twitter account um, to see what was going on. And it was so, um, and I, 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 I learn, I like to learn. I'm very open-minded and I like to learn new things and I, I learn new things every day. And I have to say that this was new to me and it was very, um, it was, it was very fascinating and also very, um, enlightening to see that this was a whole movement on Twitter about American descendants of slavery. So can Mm -hmm. you, I would love to, you know, educate my listeners about that. And if you can, you know, talk a little bit about that so that we can, you know, learn about that and and the importance of it. Yes. Um, So I appreciate that, you know, you took the time to look at that. And I think the important thing to say about ADOS is that it's both 
a lineage, mm-hmm. right? It's a specific discrete lineage because, of course, the term African-American is quite tricky. Yes. <laughs> and so for me, I use ADOS as a modifier to African-American Um, But it gets really specific in terms of saying, you know, we are the people who are descendants of slavery here in the U.S. And even that people try and, you know, pick apart. But that's what Mm -hmm. that is. So it's an identity and a lineage in that one sense. And it's a movement that, you know, is not only on Twitter, but a movement that has grown Mm -hmm. to the point where the first people who were admitted into the hearing for H.R. 40, which is the reparations bill that has been sitting for 30 years, I believe, some of the first people or many of the first people who were admitted into the room were people who were part of the AGOS movement, people who were wearing AGOS Mm -hmm. T-shirts. Today, there's actually an AGOS forum going on in Los Angeles. And so it's very much a grassroots organic pro-black movement Mm-hmm. that is grounded in this specific lineage. Now, I'm not an official spokesperson by any means. So I recommend that people who want to learn about it visit ados101.com. So from a broad perspective, the movement is about seeking to reclaim and restore the critical national character of African-American identity and experience. That identity experience is grounded in our group's unique lineage, and that lineage is central to continuing our struggle for social and economic justice in the United States. So that's the the mission. Beyond that, from my perspective, I see ADOS, uh, the movement, as both an awakening Mm -hmm. and a reckoning. Mm. That many of us, and as background, I should have said this to begin with, um, and you'll, you know, anyone who looks at my Twitter profile will will see this up front, that I have one parent who is ADOS, Um, And you actually mentioned this in your in your introduction. And I have another parent who is Caribbean DOS. So we've covered that. But that is an awakening and a reckoning that African-American ADOS people are realizing that there are a lot of things amiss when it comes to how blackness uh, plays out and has shifted in the United States and looking at the data and realizing that, you know, as Antonio Moore calls it, one of the co-founders of the movement, there's this decadent veil in the media that overrepresents, because of course we want to watch positive things, that overrepresents middle class ADOS. Mm-hmm. And of course there's, you know, issues with stereotypes being overrepresented as well. Right. But that, you know, sort of in in the vein of the causes, mm-hmm. that if you watch enough of American media, advertising, et cetera, you get the impression like, okay, there are, there are a lot of ADOS people who are doing well, but that when you look at the data and take into account not just income, you know, because we certainly have risen, risen up in terms of financial um, standing, but not just income, but actual wealth, that the wealth gap is so pronounced and mm-hmm. that 400 years of slavery and neo-slavery in the form of Jim Crow and redlining and mass incarceration, et cetera, are responsible for that. Mm. And that there is even an ethnic gap in terms of certain cities like Los Angeles or like Boston or like Miami in terms of the gap between ADUS people and black immigrants. Mm. And that this has nothing to do with any sort of animus towards black immigrants, but rather realizing that the 
inherited, um, and you know, this is something that Yvette Carnell, the other co-founder who's absolutely brilliant of AGOS, really hammers home, that there is a very unique and different accrued disadvantage that comes with being a descendant of American slavery, mm. that comes with being remade, and this is a paraphrase from her, remade a slave generation after generation in different forms over 400 years. And so while we can, from my perspective, appreciate the beauty of what we have in common in the diaspora and with the continent, that there's a lot that's different. That Mm -hmm. 400 years, that's almost half a millennia. That's a bell that cannot be unrung. Um, And that we need to get very specific about our lineage, very specific about the debt that is owed to us in particular, as ADOS people, in order to, number one, get repaid the debt that's owed to us, you know, the debt is the debt, period, but number two, to close the racial wealth gap for the people who had no choice in coming here, for the people who were brought here against their will. Um, And I think it's also sort of a renegotiation of terms, basically saying that not only are we renegotiating the terms of how we deal with white people, with quote unquote people of color, so Asian people, Hispanic people, et cetera, but also with how we deal with other black people, how we deal with other ADOS in terms Mm. of holding them accountable as well. And that on an even higher level, on an even meta level, we are setting the terms that this is the country that we have been in and that that counts for something. And I say that as someone who, you know, half of my lineage um, are immigrants, fairly recent immigrants. And if I was fully an immigrant, I would still agree with this position that it counts for something that this group of people have been here for 400 years and that we not only built the wealth of the country, but that we were the wealth of the country, that we were worth more than all of the manufacturing and railroads combined. Mm. You know, that that counts for something and that we're going to set the terms for how we deal with people. So I think that that's um, an important part of the movement. And I think that it's also saying that lineage matters. And that's a a term that uh, that Cardinal coined. And that for me, I'm noticing sort of this analogy, this parallel between people who claim to be colorblind. So white people in particular who claim to be colorblind and people who are lineage blind. So you'll have Mm. white people example who say well I don't see black or white and I don't see purple or green everyone is human we're all human and that's all that matters and there's an unwillingness there for them to just say yes I see that you're black Mm -hmm. and I respect your blackness I respect your humanity with you being black yeah, I you think know Viola sort of Davis. It. Yeah, Viola Davis uh, said that um, in an interview that she did. I can't remember who it was with now, um, but I did, you know, quote something that she said, and she just said, you know, she was talking to white women in particular. She was like, "I want mm. you to see me. Um, right. I'm a black woman. I have feelings. I have emotions. I'm human." And I'm black and I want you right. to see me as that. All of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if you have to ignore the sense and pretend that you're blind to the sense that I'm that to the fact that I'm black, just in order to support me, to mm. respect me, then what does that say about you? And so mm. along the same lines and, and you know, 
a lot of that, some of it comes with good intention, some of it is gaslighting, right? But, you know, some of it is generally well-intentioned, white, liberal, liberal, or whatever people thinking like, okay, yes, I've, I've ascended to the next level. I'm just colorblind. Forget mm-hmm. about their blackness. I don't even see that. I'm, I'm on the next level. And it's like, no, you need to respect all of it, like Bio was saying. So the parallel is that I think that there are often good intentions when people say, well, we're all black. That's all that matters. We're all black. Mm. And so I think that, you know, sort of part of the posture of the ADOS movement is saying, wait a second, you need to see my lineage. You need to acknowledge my lineage. You need to see and acknowledge my ADOSness before you just jump to this generalization of we're all black. And that's actually something that you see a lot in Cynthia's posts, where when she's asked to specifically respect African-American culture, instead she generalizes it to Mm blackness or to people of color. So, um, you know, that that's something that's quite troubling. But when it comes down to it, um, you know, I think that part of the terms are that if, you know, you're coming to this country and this sort of goes into, um, I, I think, what might be your next question, that we're going to have certain expectations. Right. And I think of a quote, a story that Uzo um, Adoba often mm-hmm. tells. She's an actress. Yeah. Um, and she tells this story, which is a great story, about how when she was growing up in Young, um, I think in Massachusetts or somewhere, the kids that she would play with, the teachers, et cetera, couldn't pronounce her name. So she tells her mother, you know, can, can I think I'm going to go by Zoe. Can I just go by Zoe? Because people can't pronounce my name. And her mother told her, if they can pronounce Tchaikovsky, if they can pronounce Michelangelo, if they can pronounce Dostoevsky, they can pronounce Uzoamaka. Mm. And I think that that says something about not just the importance of names, but also the importance of will mm. um, and the importance of who operates on whose terms and that people put mm. effort into what they value, that when something matters to someone, they will conjure up the will <laughs> to right. make it happen. And so there's a lot of double talking. I think that this is part of the the awareness and the awakening and the reckoning of ADOS. There's a lot of double talking where, for example, um, Nigerian immigrants, and this is something that I think like ADOS people over the years have tended to be proud of vicariously, that Nigerian immigrants are one of the most educated groups in America, right? right. And there's this um, narrative, right? There's this narrative, this... Um, in, uh, this pride in being educated and in valuing education. And so at the same time, there seems to be a discrepancy in terms of you can study for years to become doctors, engineers, PhDs, etc. But you can't do some Google searches or read certain books or even take a course at you know the higher level to understand the importance and the history of African-Americans and the systems of oppression that are in place, that you know, there's this pride almost in accepting this very flawed, intellectually defective argument that African-Americans are just inherently dysfunctional in some way. Um, and this this tendency to fall into the cognitive traps and all of that that otherwise 
you one would be ashamed to to fall into is is being an educated person. And so I think that we're asking for you know the words to match the behavior. And if you're going to extend this effort to other areas of education, that at the very least, either don't talk about African Americans at all, don't undermine us at all if you're not going to do the education on African American ADOS, or before you think about undermining us or talking down on us, just do that self-check and say, okay, I'm, I want to be an educated person. I pride myself on, on being an educated person. Have I educated myself in even like the bare minimum ways on the history and the contribution of ADOS people in this country and their role in me being here, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's also part of, um, like I said, the, the posture that, that a lot of ADOS are taking on. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a very enlightening point that you just made. Point taken, um, um, and that's definitely something that um, I do a lot of self checks. Um, again, you know, um, it, it's I I and let me ask this. Actually, let me ask mm-hmm. you what you think um, before we we wrap up. Um, do you think that Black immigrants have some sort of privilege in this country? Yeah, I think that that sort of goes back to the question about does Cynthia have foreign privilege? I think it's very complicated, right? Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, um, and I know this from personal experience because half of my family are immigrants. So on the one hand, there is the fact that within the American context that you are not burdened with the accrued disadvantage Mm -hmm. of being a descendant of American chattel slavery specifically, right? And not just the disadvantage in terms of how it played out from generation to generation in your family Mm -hmm. um, in ways that are both financial, in ways that are epigenetic in terms of how that stress gets imprinted on your DNA, you know, quite literally and and Mm -hmm. on your person, um, but also in terms of the stigma right, of being a descendant of American chattel slavery in particular. So there's that aspect. Um, And then there's the aspect of if you are coming from outside of AGOS culture, that it makes you more convenient for some whites, not for all whites, because I think that oftentimes black immigrants think or they, they play like two games of on the one hand, yeah, we're black just like you. We can't catch a cap either, and we're discriminated against too. <laughs> but then on the other hand, like, yeah, whites, you know, they do think better of us, and they they do look down on you, AGOS, and they, they do like us a bit better. And there's a misunderstanding there that there's a certain type of white <laughs> mm. that um, that that extends you that that privilege number one and that type of white tends to be like the white liberal mm-hmm. who fetishizes in some sense um the exoticness of you know you being foreign or on the other hand who just is relieved that once again they don't have to look in the eyes of someone who they know their life is built on the enslavement of right Right. So there's that aspect. It's like, okay, well, you don't have that nagging slavery, American slavery thing in your background. There's just some an ease there. Um, but to let's say the hill, hillbilly, the redneck, they have particularly specific 
negative opinions about Caribbeans or about Africans. Um, and so when whites are discriminating against you, it's not just because they're, you know, seeing black and they're mistaking you for African American. It's very well the case that they might have very specific and even worse sometimes opinions of your particular, you know, group. So there's that aspect. And then there's the aspect, like I said, just in general for immigrants of being a self-selecting group, right? right? Right. That just by virtue of being an immigrant, you have decided, unless you're you know, a, refu- a refugee, that you have made a very conscious decision to immigrate to a place and that no one is going to immigrate to another country without some purpose in mind. And that's something that's known as immigration vigor, right? That you are purposeful, you're motivated in terms of this decision to be in another country and you're going to make it happen. Um, also, mm. like from a cultural perspective, you know, the people back home, <laughs> You can't have the people back home looking at you like, well, you're in America and you haven't done anything. So there's other there's another um, dimension of the vigor there in terms of you have to make it because the people back home are watching, too. Right. 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 And then, of course, with West Africa, not as much as the Caribbean, but with with West Africa, with Nigeria, that U.S. immigration policy is so hyper selective in terms of who they even allow to get visas, that it is a very particular segment Mm-hmm. of the population there in terms of class and in terms of education, in terms of money that you have in the bank, in terms of other resources that you're able to prove to the U.S. government, who is even allowed to immigrate mm, yes. over here. And so in that sense, there's an embedded privilege because for the most part, it is not the downtrodden, um, it is not, you know, is this really insightful New Yorker article laid out, it is not necessarily the Ohu and the Osu of Igbo culture, yes. who are descendants of the enslaved and Igbo culture, is not necessarily those people who are immigrating here. It's middle class, you know, upper class, maybe not the tippity top 1%, you know, but they might come just for college and, you know, travel around the world and work around, around the world, but that it's a very specific group of people. And so, yes, in that sense, there, there is privilege and that there is no shame in acknowledging that. Um, Hmm. so, and I I think that when you've lived, I think that there's also, and I was getting at this before the aspect of like the moral decency, you know, I know a man who is not particularly, um, he he doesn't like read novels for fun. Um, he doesn't study history for fun, but someone was talking down on Haitians and on Haiti as a country in terms of the poverty. And this is an African-American AOS man. And he checked them and was like, listen, Haiti revolted against white supremacy. That was back in the 1800s and France and America and other European countries, they're still not letting them off the hook for that. Mm. And so even though he didn't understand all those finer points and nuances Mm -hmm. of Haitian history and of current, you know, Haitian economics, whatever, he just had sort of this inherent sense of grace and compassion that he extended to Haitian people saying like, no, you're not going to talk down on these people. Um, I understand white supremacy generally. And this is how I'm going to rationalize the fact that the country is in the state that it's in, rather than accepting the white supremacist narrative of, oh, it's Mm. just that the Haitian people themselves are defective in some way. Wow. You know? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been such an enlightening conversation. I have learned so much and I'm so thankful 
that I found you on Twitter and that you agreed to do this. Um, this has been, I, I can't explain how enlightening it has been. Um, thank you for your thoughtful and educative, you know, thoughts on this. I definitely learned a lot and I have a lot to think about, which what I typically do after every episode, I, I really think about the conversations that I've had and the, you know, it makes me go back and always check myself. And this is just really me just trying to get an understanding and learn more, um, you know, about African-American history, about mm -hmm. ADOS and, you know, recognizing my privilege. Um, I think, you know, there's been a lot of chatter in the news about white privilege, which I, I don't even want to compare that to this because that's a whole different oh, beast yeah. <laughs> ball game. But, you know, as as immigrants, we do have some privilege that I would argue have been afforded to us in part by African-Americans who are in this country and descendants of slavery. And I think it's a very important point to to get across, you know, that when you start to feel, you know, your shoulders rise up um, to think about how and why you're here um, mm -hmm. and the people who are here not look down on the ones that are not, you know, doing so well or, you know, or whatever. Because at the end of the day, every, every, you, every country in Africa has people who are quote unquote not doing well. We have, mm -hmm. you know, people who are poor, uneducated, um, or, you know, just, you know, are just not doing well. That's just, mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. it's a universal thing. The reasons behind it are a whole different ball game. that, you know, of course, they're different and specific to different countries or cultures um, or history. Um, but I think that it's very important for people to learn and to know and to just, you know, start by keeping these things in mind. So when you start to feel yourself think a certain way, challenge yourself, challenge your thinking. OK, I think this way. Why? Um, and I think one important point that I would really love to get across is something that you said earlier about Twitter and social media and how, you know, we, we, we publish thoughts that we want to get out there, right? We want people to see it and hear it because that's, you know, what we're thinking. Um, I think we all just need to be a little more mindful of the things that we post on social media, especially when it comes to these issues of, you know, race and slavery and African-Americans and Africans. I think we just need to be more mindful of the things that we say um, and not be, you know, condescending and dismissive and, you know, and just find ways to be more mindful and to educate ourselves. So I thank you for being a part of that education um, mm -hmm. and I know that, you know, from the feedback I've gotten from other episodes, I know that my audience will really appreciate that. So thank you so very much. Thank you. <laughs> and I would just add today. that I think to your earlier point that it's important to also be mindful about where are these feelings coming from, not just the yes. fact that we're expressing them and publicizing them and maybe putting ourselves in a position that might come, come back to bite us, right. but going even deeper into why are we thinking these things in the Absolutely. first place? Absolutely. And probing sort of that difficult place of being between arrogance and fear mm. and of viewing certain groups of maybe not knowing their place. I think that oftentimes there's this sense that African-Americans are almost, you know, ohu or osu who don't know their place. 
mm. um, or that they are the kata, the, the lost cat, so on and so forth, who mistakenly thinks that they're found because of the global influence that we have on, mm. on culture and what we have achieved in the U.S. I think that also probing where is that coming from? Is it actually um, coming from a place of resentment, perhaps, mm. um, and, a, and a sort of warped sense, the opposite, the other side of the coin of the superiority complex, probing that and yes. digging deeper into that. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. My and past- I appreciate this opportunity. Oh, sure. And my pastor, I'll end with this. My pastor said in a recent series, he said, a lot of times we're very good at monitoring our behaviors, but what we need to monitor is our hearts. There um, you go. And there what's go. what's in your Beautiful. heart will eventually come out at some point. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Um, and I hope to talk to you soon and talk to you again for Likewise. another episode. Thank All you right. so much. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Akata is a Bad Word. Keep up with episodes and more via iTunes, SoundCloud, and on Instagram at A-K-A-T-A is a Bad Word.